Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So stay with us as right now we present. You know, I'm sorry, but we only have an hour for this show. And the guest that we have today has done so many things and has, uh, has dabbled in so much that we could talk for a long time. Now, we did do a show together in July, in mid-July or so. so. You can always go to positivetalkradio.net and, uh, and review that show. But this show is going to be different. It's, uh, it's um, three weeks or so since we did the last show, and lots have happened. Lots is going on with you. So, uh, Tyler Foley and is, is Sean Tyler Foley, actually, is... Uh, um, and but he's commonly known as STF uh, in the acting circles. He's an actor. He's a performer. He's a stage performer. He's done been in movies like Freddy versus Jason, Wee Wee Wee, Door to Door, Carrie, and Ragtime. And uh, you're passionate about helping others confidently learn how to speak professionally in front of people. And you're a podcaster. You, you teach people how to be a podcaster. And you also have a company that you works with safety. And so you do a lot of stuff, man. Where do you have time to do all this stuff? I, you know, oftentimes I, I wonder that myself, Kevin. Today has been one of those days where I've been wearing multiple hats. Uh, I, I started the morning with the safety consultant hat on uh, and then quickly switched to dad and uh, was dealing with my daughter. And then rapidly I had to, I got sides for an audition. So then I had to go and record an audition. So then I had the acting hat on. Uh, I had to touch back in with my team again with the safety consulting hat, uh, ran a, a training uh, course for an hour with the with the podcast training showing people how to be better guests and then uh then now i've now i'm here with you getting to chit chat i don't know how i schedule it into my day uh more specifically i don't know how my uh admin schedules everything in for me and makes it so coordinated so that i can just go one to the other I, my wife my life would dissolve if it were not for my uh, amazing administrator so that's we all need one you, you got to have one if you're going to be doing a lot of different things. And I do a lot of podcasts and radio shows and stuff. So I have to have one of those myself. So yeah. it's, they can be really helpful. But in your case, because you have so many hats and so varied uh, from being a, a father to, uh, to being an actor and all, all of the stuff that you do, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. I did want to touch bases with you, though, because you're kind of plugged in. Uh, you're, you're a member of the Screen Actors Guild, aren't you? Yeah, so I'm a Canadian, so I'm actually an ACTRA member, uh, which is a, a, an affiliate with SAG-AFTRA. And so when SAG-AFTRA goes on strike, uh, we can't work on any um essentially u.s productions which is like 90 percent of the production that comes up this way so if it isn't a canadian production usually a low budget canadian production uh i'm i don't get to work so yeah the the work has slowed right down right and there we actually had a couple of shows that uh were gearing up to film and had you know casting and everything uh set out and then and then it just it it's on pause it's just we're just waiting now is it is it all stopped now when, for those of you that don't know if you've been under a rock or something right now there's a couple of strikes going on there's a writer's strike that has been going on longer but the um, actor strike happens what about a month ago i uh, no, yeah not even a month ago they were threatening it a month ago and then uh i think the officially uh, the strike started about a week and a half, two weeks ago at the time of recording this. So, Oh, wow. And so what happens is that because you're a Screen Actors Guild member or you're a union guy, you're not allowed to work in non-union settings, number one, because yeah. it's part of the union thing. But also it means that, that everything shuts down. So even the productions that were almost ready to start filming, they shut down as well? Yeah, if it didn't need any um, additional scripting, so like movies that we're filming are continuing through because, but they can't change. So that's the other thing too. Like um, Deadpool three is filming right now, and Ryan Reynolds is not allowed to improvise any of his lines, which is the magic behind 
uh, Deadpool and that character and everything that Ryan Reynolds does is, is amazing when he gets the chance to riff, but because he has writing credits on the movie, he is deemed a writer. So he can't improvise because that would be creating lines. So now they, they have to stick word for word for word on what was written and no, no riffing past that. So movies can continue as long as the script has been finalized and now they can't. So it's funny too. Cause like as an actor, you get like um, different color copies as they change the script. Right. And so like by the time, if you're particularly somebody like me, if you're showing up near the end of filming, you, the, your script is a rainbow. Like it's like, you've got, you know, the yellow copy, the blue copy, orange copy, red copy, double blue copy, the white copy, right? Like everything. And they all just kind of get inserted in these new colors to, to denote the changes. And you can't do that with the, with the strike on right now. So whatever was the last issue, if it was the, if the blue copy was the last copy before the strike, you have a blue copy. And that is, that is what your script is. And that is it. Um, so the, if it was, finalized just from a writing perspective you could go forward if it is a canadian production and not a u.s production it can go forward but if it's like a u.s tv series or um, a film that hadn't quite gotten into production yet then then it's it's a no-go you can't do it i can't imagine because i from my understanding now correct me if i'm wrong but in the course of filming, because you said you have different colors of when they change the scripts and stuff, that the director might want to change something here or there, a line that doesn't work as well. They can't do any of that. Is that right? Uh, they can't. So you can still improvise. Like I could improvise because I don't have a writing credit on the script. Oh, gotcha. Right. So I can change it because I'm not a professional writer. So if we need to improvise, I can. But in the scenario like something like where a star say they they've had a hand in writing the script um oh and or and producer credits and stuff like that then they they can't alter it because that's going against the the negotiated bargaining and, and part of the you know ability to to strike and and walk so uh yeah so like you know ryan reynolds has to stick to his lines currently uh, and cannot improvise because he has a writing credit if i needed to improvise i theoretically could um because you don't get a writing credit for like one or two off lines like if you add stuff and that happens a lot over the course of a scene sure. but yeah they can't they can't change the script you can't go in now you can do minor improvisation but you can't do edits so what are the do you are you versed in what are the major issues of what the of what they're talking about? I, mean, I know there are two different things because the writers are after something else, I would imagine, than the actors or they're intertwined. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. That. So they're intertwined sort of. So, I mean, everything always comes down to money. Right. Uh, and a lot amazing. of it comes down right to the residual structure and uh, what how how studios are accounting for and dispersing monies up front and then on the back end. And the main concern that the writers have right now is with the advent of AI and a lot of these writing tools like ChatGPT or Jasper or any of these other um, tools that are um, augmenting writing and, and allowing more people to be able to write more creatively. Uh, very rapidly. The big concern and what seems to be the big hang up right now is how much of that is going to be allowed on a producer side, right? So if I, as a writer, create a script and hand it into you as a producer, and then you want to start doing the edits, how much of my original work can I still take credit for if you're going to feed it into an AI? And then if the AI is going to amalgamate that into its algorithm, because everything is kind of being assimilated and, and reviewed, how much of my work then do I get credit for if somebody else writes something in my style using my voice, but saying different things. So they, they want to have better definitions, which is funny because this is actually, they, they're being very proactive because this is actually not a thing that that AI is capable of doing right now, but they know that it could in the future. So before it becomes a thing, they want to have it addressed now. 
the drawback to that is that it's, it's a weak negotiating position because this this these tools still need a lot of human input, a lot of prompting. And if I, I've done this test because it was one of the things that I was curious about because um, I have, you know, anybody has access to ChatGPT and I have I use a program called Jasper, formerly Jarvis, that I uh, use in my, my other businesses because it's really good at creating copy and helping me create simple um, uh, plans and uh, lesson plans and outlines for my training and instruction. I'll say, this is the, this is the outcome that I want to do. How can I make it more engaging or, or write better copy for the training program? And it will go and give me some stuff, but then I still have to go in and tweak it. So I did actually run an experiment where I was like, write a, uh, you know, 120 minute script for a sci-fi action series uh, based on a, an attack on the moon. And I just kind of put it in and asked it to write it. Well, first of all, it, it stumbled. It, it's only good at writing about 4,000 words. And then it, then it breaks down. It, it needs more augmentation. It needs more input. It could write a really good outline for that story. Um, you know, especially if you prompted a little bit more using the hero's journey, following, uh, whatever you could, you can really give it some good detail and it will flush out a decent uh, script outline. But if you actually ask it to, to make the script, it can't. It doesn't know how to do the formatting properly. Um, direction, camera direction and character direction is, is wrong. Uh, it, just, it, just, it just doesn't work. So right now it doesn't have the capability to do it. In the future, with enough input, it may. So they're really sticking their heels in right now because it was one of the th lessons learned with the streamers. Nobody got a really good jump on how quickly internet streaming would happen. And so subsequently, we've been playing catch up as an industry for the last 10 years on how to correctly compensate people for the residuals from streaming revenue because it's a really hard thing to calculate because it's pooled right? You pay your monthly Netflix or, um, you know, Paramount plus or Disney plus subscription fee, and then you can watch whatever you want. And so it, it, it's, there's a lot of additional calculations that go in as opposed to like ticket sales. Like you knew how many DVDs sold, you knew how many VHS sold, you knew how many tickets sold to the movie theater. It was easier to account for what the revenues were and how to, to justify that previously. So this is this is kind of two different unions going, we can foresee the problem. And we've learned a lesson previously. So now we're going to stick our heels in currently to hopefully address it. And I think the writers have a little bit stronger and I, I'm going to get in so much trouble from the union. I think the writers have a stronger position than the actors do. The actors are concerned about AI um, studios being able to use AI to replicate actors and then just you know, completely and totally drastically diminish your time on set. That never going to happen. I, even in, even in the greatest world. Um, I, I just can't foresee it being a thing. It's going to be really interesting to see, but, but so what, what, from what I understand here, this is because I was thinking about this. It's like, if you have, if you have a movie that's on Netflix and it gets X number of plays, you don't get paid upon the next the number of plays it goes into a pool for all of the revenue from netflix and then you get a percentage of what your film uh the number of plays on that format and then you get a percentage of that is that kind of what we're talking about is that yeah sort of yeah so yeah they right you have what was the revenue for that month or that quarter for that streaming service and then how much of your individual work that show or that movie or that that piece of art how much of that was viewed like what was the percentage and it's going to be fractional and then beyond that now what was your personal negotiated um residual rights within that like as a day player my my residual rights are, are small, super small. Like it, you, you'd mentioned, you know, Freddie versus Jason. I 
I that is probably one of my best paying residual checks that I get every quarter. And they're like eighteen dollars. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 20 years later, I get the checks and it's hilarious too, because I do this little dance in my kitchen when I open up the mail and my wife hates it because I'm like, I'm a movie star. I'm a movie star, mad, mad movie bucks, mad, mad movie bucks. And then I like take her out for an ice cream. Like my, my residuals aren't enough to go to McDonald's anymore because of inflation. Like for me and my wife to go and dine at McDonald's is like 22 bucks and I only get $18 for a residual. Can't even, I can't even go to a movie theater to see my movie with the residual check that I get for said movie. You know, I, I don't get out much to movies and stuff, but a friend of mine started going to some and it's like, um, the movie was, um, eight bucks a piece and, uh, or 12 or something, something like that. But two, two things of popcorn and two pops cost $35. Yeah. And and so you spend you spend 50 bucks going to the movies and and you, you don't see any of that um, and, and stuff. It makes it it makes it really it, it's kind of like now let me ask you, this is going to this is going to do you think that what they're trying to do from the top down is to is to take money back from actors, musicians, uh, authors, uh, people that are creative people and not pay them what they were when there, there was a time in the in the 70s and 80s that you could have a one hit wonder as a song and there was one guy I forget i forget the the song it was but it was successful it was number one for several weeks and he said that song bought me my house and my cabin uh, because yeah, because of of the the amount of money he was able to get and that doesn't exist anymore are they trying to uh, take away and is that why everybody's fighting so hard to maintain their rights is because they're taking back all of the creative stuff sort of i think i think what the big problem is is you see these massive numbers right and and the whole entertainment landscape has changed and i can't remember which one of the big directors it was if it was uh spielberg i, I want to say it was it was steven spielberg back in the 80s said that eventually the theater experience was going to change like he kind of saw what happened with jaws and star wars and these big blockbuster movies and was able to see that eventually the movie theater experience was not going to be this one dimensional go and sit and you eat your popcorn and the movie plays and then you're done. And every once in a while you have, you know, a really good film that catches the, the cultural zeitgeist and, you know, everybody gets involved with it. But he said at some point it's going to be like going to live theater where it is going where the movie is going to be an experience because there is going to be a point where this I think it was with the with VHS too you know that that home experience was going to become as good if not better because why would you go out and so the movie theater was really going to become an experience and that the ticket prices would reflect that and he's not far off from that prediction now and because this model has changed and again you know the movie studios only really make money off of uh, a movie and the ticket sales of a movie in that first week, first week or two, because that's when the ticket revenue is heavily in favor of the uh, studios. After about the first or second week, then you get into repertory theaters and you get into a lower uh, residual that the uh, or fee that the theaters have to pay to have that on their screens. And so then that, that revenue drastically starts to dip. So if you can't get people to fill that theater in those first couple of weeks, if you don't have the blockbusters, you're not making the ticket sales. You're not making revenue from the door. And so then you're really heavily dependent on these other options, the streamers. And that's why you're seeing a lot of studios push towards just streaming. Like you're not even getting a lot of theatrical releases anymore. Because they, they, they have the abilities to control that, that relationship to the money a little bit easier. And it's also why you're only getting blockbusters in theaters now. 
the the era of the art house movie yeah. is is over you are never going to get a mid-budget movie you are either getting low budget something that is in the 10 to 20 million dollar range or you're getting massive blockbuster 300 million plus uh, budget you are never going to see a 40 or 50 or 80 million dollar movie in a theater anymore because the the economics just aren't there to 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 make it make sense when you can take that movie make it for slightly less because you're not having to worry about um, losing revenue on uh on the back end after two or three weeks in theaters and you can put it directly on a streamer and now the streamers are are are, are producers themselves so like this the all, everything 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 ha everything has its finger in the pie and so everybody wants their piece including the actors and the writers and they're not wrong for saying hey we can foresee a problem we want to be ahead of it but particularly on this ai issue and particularly with the actor side, they're they're pushing a little bit uh, beyond what is actually capable. The, I, I would think that the chances of them coming up with a AI person who was so lifelike that it could replace a human being would be would be really difficult to do. Oh, and if you you want proof of that, just look at Robert Zemeckis. You know, he had starting with the Polar Express and then um, Beowulf and Mars Needs Mum. And he had like that whole series of those ones where he was trying to do the motion capture. And and it just it it looked bad. And even if you get like into something like um, photorealism or you you or you even look on like a, a Pixar where you go like the cartoon route you still need that voiced by actors. And even though AI is getting better at replicating and mimicking human expression and human thought, it's only good at doing it one way based on the prompt. So you may be able to take Tom Hanks voice, write a script for Woody and create Toy Story 12 without tom hanks but it will suck because you won't have his inflection you won't have his instincts you will have a very hollow replication of him and it, it's the difference between you know getting craft dinner microwaved in a box or going to a five-star michelin restaurant and having a chef create you macaroni and cheese like he's going to create these elbow noodles, possibly spiral noodles. He's going to throw in five different kinds of cheeses, might torch the top of it, flambe it so that it's nicely roasted, add in a little bit of uh, garlic aioli, you know, like it'll be great. Or you have your microwave dish and yeah, it'll feed you, but it's not a five-star Michelin experience. And right now, and for a long time into the future, that's what AI is going to do. And that's that's the real concern right now within the industry. And by within the industry, I mean within the actors union um, itself, that we are going to have, because we have ability to do voice replication, and the people who are the most concerned about this tend to be the people who are doing um, ADR, uh, the voiceover work. Right. Because I could right now buy for i think 60 bucks a lifetime subscription for a thing an ai bot that will voice my um training scripts for me and they even have like real looking people and they will do these expressive animated and they will they look quote unquote look real and you have this real training person i've tried it i am better than what the ai can kick out that AI bot is for people who do not feel comfortable in front of a camera or who do not have the training to be able to voice something themselves. And so you get this reasonable facsimile of somebody being expressive, but it only does it one way. It only knows how to accentuate one way and trying to get it to tweak it, to do something different is next to impossible and very likely will be long into the future because 
AI is just a tool and it only goes by what it is told to do and can only consume so much information to learn how to do those things. It still needs human input. You will always need human input. And well, I, I, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, it's just for those reasons that I just can't see AI taking over. You know, we're not going to, it's not going to replicate background work. I mean, I, I've, I've heard all of these background actors right now who are like, well, well, they'll never need an extra. Well, they don't need extras right now. You look at the last half a dozen Marvel Cinematic Universe releases, you still need real live background, but half of the people, everybody that they're fighting is some AI bot. It's, it's all computer generated anyway. So I just, the, the studios are already doing it. What they can do with artificial intelligence and with, with computers, they're already doing. We were already okay with that. They, you just can't duplicate or replicate the human interaction and the human experience. And to that end, I'm hoping this strike comes to an end quickly because I'm hoping that more and more people start to realize that we're that the threat is not what they think it is. The threat is the application later. Right. You know, a lot of people are are thinking you, what you're just saying is that it's changing so fast that they're thinking it's going to be all this. But I would I would suggest that if you were um, if you were to go out and decide to use AI for a character like uh, Good Morning Vietnam, the Robin Williams character, or the genie in uh, um Aladdin, in Aladdin. Yeah. when 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 because he spent hours and hours uh ad-libbing different stuff and then they took it the best of it and and you you couldn't get i i don't think ai has a sense of humor and innate sense of humor like that do they no no they do not and and that's the thing too like you could you could ask it to write an improv skit in the uh voice of robin williams and you might get some zany caricature type stuff, but it won't, it, it, it's, it's lifeless. It doesn't understand the context. And so it doesn't land as funny. Like you, like there is a chaotic energy that comes with somebody like Robin Williams. There is a uh, very distinct sense of humor that comes with somebody like Ryan Reynolds or Seth Rogen, um, Jim Carrey. And I just had to mention all those three along with Robin Williams so that we had a higher Canadian content because that's part <laughs> of my union. Um, but, you know, like all of those, like even trying to replicate William Shatner for the next Star Trek movie. The man's 90 years old and just flew to space. Way to go. Did you know, by the way, total aside, when Anson Mount was recording the new monologue for um, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, and he did that space, the final frontier, that opening credit monologue for, right. for that. What, the day they were recording that was when William Shatner was up in space with Jeff Bezos. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. So, but to my point, and I realize I digressed really quickly there. They, <laughs> with uh, If you wanted to replicate Bill Shatner, you couldn't do it. And I know that because... You have so many other examples of bad Bill, including the great Jim Carrey, who does Bill Shatner like this. And everybody says it's bang on. But is it? Because I'd argue if you ever watch the show, it's not really that good. And that is why AI can't replicate any of these actors that was really good by the way <laughs> that was a really good that was a good really good caricature of jim carrey doing shatner that yeah that is that is tyler foley doing jim carrey doing bill shatner as captain kirk because that's a, it's a character on a character too so thank you yeah thank you so, so that was, the, was highly entertaining. You're a highly entertaining young man, and uh, you've got you got lots lots going on. This is an interesting conversation because it's it's um, and it even goes deeper than that because we're talking about AI, we're talking about a computer program or whatever it is. But I don't know that you'll ever be able to take humanity out of humanity's hands. Uh, I just don't see it. Do you? 
No, no. And I, I, I think, I mean, I don't want to limit technology. Um, but having worked with various forms of artificial intelligence over my very many careers, I know, you know, from a robotic standpoint that machines only do what you tell them to do. Uh, even the ones that learn, like in a previous iteration of a business that I had, I did um, terrestrial mobile mapping. So uh, we used LIDAR lasers to scan the ground and made 3D models of the world around us. I did a lot of scanning of infrastructure. And one of the things that we were tasked with was scanning uh, these large power corridors and um, going along the highway and seeing where there were intersections or where there were possible conflicts with crossings, right? Where you had really low power lines and where they might need to be marked. And we hired this a computer engineer uh, from a, a really well-respected university. And he created an AI um, program to be able to identify power poles. And it took him almost four months to be able to teach this program how to identify these power poles because it would also identify sign poles and uh, fire hydrants and the guy line protectors. Everything was a power pole. And uh, this engineer had to go back and he would like feed photo after photo after photo and all of these digital uh, 3D models, these laser point clouds in and be like, no, that is, that is this, that is this, that is this. And it literally taught it so that eventually it went power pole. And so it, it was, it was really cool to see the progression of this um, piece of software because it went from like 0.5% uh, recognition rate to like a 2% to a 4% to an 8%. And it was exponential until it had like a 99% success rate. And well, maybe it was like 96. I can't remember. But anyway, it was really good at discovering power poles. And as it was taught what is a power pole and what isn't a power pole, it got good at identifying what is not a power pole, but is something else because you had to tell it it is something else. So by the time this whole four month process was done, not only could it really accurately identify power poles, it could very, very rapidly identify other infrastructure like sign poles and our, uh, the fire hydrants but it still couldn't identify a car or a human because it wasn't taught to do that. <laughs> or, it only or, knew this. It was really good at finding a power pole, but don't ask it to search for your favorite movie. And that's the problem with, with people fearing, you know, AI coming to get us. It, it, we're not going to see that AI Armageddon because even if you could get something like they've got those creepishly realistic robots that can like mimic human behaviors and they like, yes. they're happy and then they're mad and then they're like excited, whatever. And they're really, really good at mimicking that. Ask that robot to make you a waffle. <laughs> it wouldn't have a clue. It wouldn't, it wouldn't even know. It would make this face. Because it doesn't get it. It doesn't understand. And that that is the problem. If you're trying to replicate a human, no, forget a human. Go with like something even uh, slightly less advanced. Get it to, to replicate your house cat. Good luck. Good luck. Because it doesn't understand all of the complexities that go into it. And I don't understand how a house cat works either. You Nobody know, I, does. That's why you can't replicate them. <laughs> and so you're making me feel a little better here because a lot of people are, you know, the sky is falling. AI is going to uh, take, you know, uh, I used to be a bus driver and they're they're scared to death that the AI is going to take over the buses and yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But Oh, I Skynet's can, coming for you. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, but I but I can guarantee you this: the first accident where somebody dies in a bus accident that's being done by a, a robot, um, they're going to have that's going to be a big deal. Well, even look at self-driving autonomous cars, right? Like you theoretically, 
if you own a Tesla, you can push a button and that thing will drive for you. And it has a pretty good success rate, although there have been some pretty well-noted incidents with them and a couple of fatalities. And because of those couple of fatalities, the, you're not allowed to have the car drive you if you're not in the driver's seat. Ah, yeah. And even then, like you need the ability to like, they, I, they only understand the parameters that they've been fed. And as soon as you go outside of those parameters, everything collapses. So like, I would never use a Tesla in Canada in the winter because most of the parameters that it has been fed and where it's AI has been learned is in California. <laughs> it does not understand ice and semis in front of you. And yeah. subsequently, like you just, you can't use it. That That's, well, that's, that's a really good, good points all, sir. And I hope, I hope that for your sake, that the um, writer strike and the actor strike gets over relatively quickly, quickly so that you can go back to your craft. Oh, I, I appreciate that, Kevin, because uh, again, I'm going to get in so much trouble for saying this, but I'm really tired of <laughs> the only thing I can audition for is low budget Canadian <laughs> movies for CBC. <laughs> like I, I, I need my American productions back They're They're, uh, they're more fun to work on. I, I got to ask you because of, of, and I just had this thought because of big budget blockbuster stuff, like uh, the latest Indiana Jones movie that underperformed and they spent $300 million on it. It's not going to make $300 million back. Do you think that the day of the huge budget picture is, is going away? No. What I think is going to replace that is they're not going to try and knock out as many as quickly. So I think you're going to, cause there, there was a time when it took a year to film a movie. There was a time where it took two or three to get them out you know it, it, it's weird because it's cyclical because like in the in the heyday of the studio system of hollywood they were knocking out a film a month you know yep and they were just like boom 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 and then they started to like get a little bit you know you got into the 60s and the 70s and and things started to get a little bit more drawn out and the process got longer and you could take months on end you still had a, a budget that you had to work within but if you could, if there was a return and you could, you could be more creative and they were, they were willing to take more risks. And then, then it shrunk again. Then it took, then if they wanted, no, now we just want popcorn film. We just need butts in the seats. And then they, they started making movies in three months again. And then early two thousands, they started to draw out that process and you started to spend more money and James Cameron could build an entire replica of the Titanic and, keep sinking it off of the coast of Mexico. And I think he's filmed in Mexico and, and a little bit in, in Halifax. And you, you had this ability to like spend money, but it became justified because there was the returns. If you made a good enough film spending that money, the time investment in it was worthwhile. The financial investment in it was worthwhile because there was a return, right? So for every Indiana Jones, there's an avatar. Right. And, you know, for every cutthroat island there's a titanic <laughs> people forget cutthroat island with gina davis came out a couple of months or a year before titanic i think and it like killed her career for a while it was the most expensive movie ever made and it was a flop and then everybody said titanic was going to be the next cutthroat island they were like oh you know Jim doesn't know what he's doing. Everybody knows how this story ends. How could you possibly do it? And then he created a great Romeo and Juliet love story, followed a great hero's journey arc, and used the Titanic as a character within the story as opposed to the plot itself. And and subsequently made, you know, one of the greatest, most successful films ever. And uh, it, it, it's things like that that make me go you still need first of all human intervention and to your point i don't think they're going to stop making in fact i think they're going to spend more because they're not going to get what is going to get stifled is the ability to take a chance they're not going to take a flyer on a movie anymore flyer movies will only be made for under 25 million 
So you're going to get some really cool art house stuff, but it's going to be low, low budget art house. Or you're going to get these massive blockbusters. And instead of trying to churn out five or 10 a year, they're going to try and churn out two or three a year. They're going to double up the spending, but they're going to make sure that the quality is there because they just can't take a chance on a flop anymore because there's not as many people going into the theater. And to augment that, I think Steven Spielberg's point about it becoming an experience and you go to the theater. I mean, it's they're already starting to get there, right? You've, they, you've got the VIP theaters where you have wait staff who bring the food to you and you've got the loungers. And now instead of having 500 people in a, in a, in a theater, you have maybe 180 because those are all the seats because everything's a lounger. And then you get the big screen experience. I think Steven's right that it's going to come to an experience and you're going to pay for that experience the same way that you would pay to go see a Broadway show. And I think Broadway is going to become more uh, accessible too. I think you're going to see Broadway tickets start to uh, come down. I think you're going to see a lot more touring shows of live productions. And I think uh, the musical artists are going to start uh, taking control of their music again because I think people like Taylor Swift and Pearl Jam have really carved a way for them to have a model to follow so that they can get outside of the musical studio. And I think you'll start to see uh, ticket prices of these big scale concerts come down. In fact, I think the big scale concerts will come down. I think you'll start to see a lot more uh, 400, 500, 600 seat uh, small theater venues with live music and longer tour dates come into effect. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Cause I saw Paul McCartney with this goes back when my kids were little and it was $500 for the four of us. And this is back in the, in the, like in 90, no, yeah. in like uh, maybe 2000. Uh, so, and there are, there are some real expensive ones, uh, some tickets out there, but uh, um, I, I hope I would love to see. Now I know you're a performer. You're also you do so many things and you're a speaker and and let's let's go through that real quick because I want to make sure we get that in. Sean Tyler is where you can go and find out all about him, his speaking, all the things that he does and that he teaches you how to do it. And he's also got a best selling book out that is called The Power to Speak Naked and which is uh, that's quite a power, by the way. Um <laughs> I use it for good instead of evil. Yeah. <laughs> yes, because I could not, uh, they would leave. So yeah. I don't want to do that. But, uh, but I, I get it. And you need, to, you need to feel comfortable. And you teach people how to feel comfortable in a room, how to be engaging to the audience, how to look at them, how to, how to move them forward and stuff like that. Your, your website's chock full of stuff like that. So go there. Sean, Tyler, and that's... S E A N, the only way to spell right. Sean, by the way. The proper Irish way. I got my son's name is Sean, spelled the same exact way. Yeah. Um, dot com, and get all the information you want to about him and hire him to come and speak. He's really dynamic. And, or if you, he's got another company that, uh, that does safety stuff. So if you, if you need to do that, then, then you can probably cut your insurance rates. Yeah. Um, no, those are my fun keynotes. I love doing the safety ones. Yeah. It's always meta when I talk on the talking, right? What do you talk about? Well, I talk about how to talk, <laughs> but when I can talk about safety, it's always, it's always fun because it is definitely uh, the passion and why I keep that business uh, alive and going. It's a self-sufficient thing that runs on its own. Now I've got a really good team that knows way more about everything than me. And I just come in, I'm just, a, I'm just a pretty face. Who's the figurehead of the company. And I'm like, Hey, do we need any help? And they're like, no, no, we're good. Tyler. You, we've got this go speak. Like, okay. See ya. I want that job. That's a good job where, where you don't have to get into the nuts and bolts of it. And, and, and a lot of it has to do with you hire the right people. You give them the direct the direction and you give them their space and you let them run with it. Yeah. They see that's, that's true intelligence. It's not artificial. It's real intelligence. I augment my ability to do things by hiring real intelligence to do it because with the artificial intelligence, I still need to input and I'm, I don't like input. I like, I like being able to show up and be like, Hey, checking in. And they're like, good, good. Now go away. <laughs> that is, that is the best kind of uh, employees to have is when, when they, they know what they're doing and, and then, uh, and then when you stick your head in and they go, no, we got it. We got it. And then you leave and they go, thank God he's gone. Good Lord. Yeah. 
We, he comes we, in and he gives us weird suggestions and things go off the rails. <laughs> it's true. And we know what we're doing and we do just uh, we just do a fine bit of work with that. So yeah. what now do you have another business that you're gonna open or another book that you're gonna write? Uh probably not another business currently, but I do have a few books in the works. Um, I, we, I just, uh, was a contributing author to the pod match guest mastery, uh, which was published, uh, earlier this year. And that was a really fun project to be involved in. It was, I was very honored that they reached out to me, Alex Sanfilippo of, of pod match and reached out to me and asked me to be a, a contributor into that. And then I've got a revised edition of the power to speak naked coming out bigger, longer, and uncut. So I, I'm looking forward to that. And then I've got another book um, that is kind of um, going to be a compilation of a lot of these conversations that I've had uh, with incredible hosts like yourself, Kevin, over the last year and a half. Because I've been on over 400 podcasts in the last 18 months. And I've had some really, really, really amazing conversations that have gone into some incredible places. And uh, if anything, I don't know how many people would be interested in it, but it's a nice, I've already got a nice little digest. People can listen to these conversations on the website. They can just go and, and I have a really cool player that um, grabs all of my interviews from all over the internet. And then it puts them into one player and makes it easy to, for people to find them. But I was listening back to a few of them and I was like, these are some really good conversations. So I, I, I think I might just make a, a book on, uh, a compilation of some of the best conversations that that I've had with uh, a, some dynamic that's really, hosts. That's a really, really good idea. And I do have to say, you you came back, so I must not suck horribly there, terribly bad. No, no, you're one of my favorite hosts. The no word of a lie, like uh, you. Because here's the thing, I I know good hosts. I know good hosts, and I know good shows. And you, sir, have both. Um, because here's the thing, you and I always have really good conversations. Uh, we have a general idea of where the conversation is going to go, but but it's it's free flow. Some of the worst conversations that I've had are people who have like this script and they're like, you're going to, I'm going to ask you these questions and you're going to answer those questions and that's where the show goes. And there's no room for spontaneity. And as somebody who has been in the creative business for over 40 years, um, it, that's that hurts my soul. So one of the things I appreciate the most about you is that you know how to uh, riff most because I think, you know, how to listen, like you really, you create a really good safe space for your guests. You know, like you're, you're, uh, you ask very wise, very informed questions, but then you give the space for that answer to breathe. And I, I can't begin to express to you how grateful I am to have that opportunity to be on your show and, and for you to be the host that you are. I really do like when we get to have our conversations. Well, I'm, I really, it's, being a podcaster, as you know, is kind of like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> so and true. You're going to get the wide range of folks. And um, I just like, I'm curious about people. I'm curious. As, as when I was looking at your bio going, well, we're going to talk about speaking. And then and then you get on and I go, no, we're going to talk. About, and it, I have no earthly idea. But if you listen to this show, it's completely different than the last show we did. And the next show we did will be different than this show. That's yeah. right. You know, I'll be on again in three months and we won't remember what we talked about on this one. We'll riff on a new thing and it'll be wonderful. It, it'll be great fun. And I, I just really, and you're an intelligent, smart guy that does a lot of things. You take care of your family. You take care of your daughter. Um, you just have the one daughter. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I stopped at perfection. Yeah. <laughs> How old a child is this? She just turned eight. Me and her, our birthdays are four days of five days apart. Um, and uh, so we both just celebrated our birthdays. Uh, I basically, I took the last half of July off and uh, my wife you. booked off the last 10 days of July and we, we basically disappeared. We unplugged. We went on some great family vacations. We disappeared to like a, an amusement park and we went to a big water park. My daughter and I went hiking on my birthday. We did two trails on my birthday. Uh, one of them to this amazing suspension bridge in the Kananaskis and another one to this, the, these private falls. Um, my daughter's old enough now. I've, I've, again, growing up, I was, I was very active. My father uh, used to climb. And, and so there's this really cool um, 
hike. It's a, it's a very easy hike to do, but at the end of it, there's these waterfalls and there's a, a rappel that you can do. And there's, oh, wow. there's a, a, a set rope. And then there's a crevasse that you can, you can actually wedge up. And my daughter is finally old enough to learn how to do that. So we got her all harnessed up and I, you know, we got, I got her in and, and, uh, we were, I was able to get her into her line and, and we, we ran up. And so we got to go to the upper part of the falls for the first time. And cause we do this hike every year, this one, uh, it's called cat Creek in the Kananaskis. And it's just, a, it's a beautiful, fun little hike. It's a, it, uh, maybe a 45 minute in and out if you don't go to the upper falls. And so we've done this every year. I've got pictures of her on my back basically every year since she was two years old. And uh, so this year we got to go up to the top of the falls and that was a really, really exciting thing. So, well, that that's, it's cool that, that you are a good dad and, uh, and an eight year old girl, I'm looking forward to the future for you. Um, I'm terrified for it. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to use a word like that, but I figured I don't want to scare the poor man because. Oh no, no, I'm already terrified. My daughter is, um, absolutely brilliant um you know and i get to brag because i'm i'm a dad right up here i've got three pieces of art that she's done they're canvases um 18 by 24 canvases that she's done two in portrait one in landscape and they hang in the office here and people don't know that she did that when she was five and people come in they're like oh that's great who did that like my daughter um and they, they're always blown away. I wish I could uh, show them to you. They're they're kind of abstract ones. One of them is uh, like a, a tree in blossom with like cherry blossoms. And another one's a, uh, a sunflower. It's just, they're amazing. I just, I love what she does. And, you know, she writes and she, she acts more than me. She's way more talented than I am. First time she was on my drum kit, she had way better rhythm and meter <laughs> structure than I did. I was like, oh, this is not fair. Why, why don't you just, you just do me kid you just do me and you know and and that's not in your bio that you're a musician too that's not fair well because i so i am an amateur musician at best i am i'm a rank amateur um (laughs) i i i grew up around music my uh stepfather was in two juno nominated bands uh he ran his own recording studio i he was a piano tuner Uh, one of the first jobs that i ever had was being an assistant piano tuner like an apprentice piano tuner um and so music has just been around my life but i know good musicians i know good musicians i am a i am a hack at best i plunk things out on the keyboard just because it's fun and you know i i don't even strum a guitar well and i play drums competently enough to keep a beat uh to back up a band if the dr- main drummer goes down but <laughs> i i am by no means a, a musician sir well, you know, I, I you're from Canada, so I got to give a shout out to a couple of my favorite bands in the world. Was one of them is I don't know if you this goes back to the seventies, um, five man electrical band. Are you, are you familiar with them? No, they did the song Signs, Signs, okay. Signs everywhere, everywhere sign. sign. Yeah, yep. and the other one is the Guess Who. Oh uh, yeah, which, everybody because the Guess Who is is incredible. Randy yeah, one of, the, one of the leaders passed recently as well, which yeah. is too bad. But, yeah. but uh, you know, and so I love, I love, and okay, I, and I'm gonna, I have to let you go because I don't, I could take all of your time and we could be here for hours. But, um, why is it? Is it cultural? Is it geographical? But why is it that Canadian people, for my money, are some of the most down-to-earth, real, honest, good human beings. I've talked to a lot of you guys, and all of you are to a person. I haven't run across – I run across people in the United States that I don't want to talk to again, you know, like, you know, often. But you guys, what is it? Why are Canadians such a, a, a hospitable group of people, do you think? Honestly, I think it's out of necessity. Um, a, we're a young country, right? Like the country's barely 150 years old. And although we share similar stories from the U.S., you know, particularly with the migration west and 
settlement. I think the fact that we maintained uh, the monarchy and a tie to British colonies because we also allowed, um, allowed, uh, conceded and, and the French still have their hold in, in Quebec. And, you know, we have a bilingual province in New Brunswick and that we still recognize colonial roots from two different countries. Um, and it's, I mean, it's hard living up here. One of the reasons why you have so many Canadians come down to the States all the time is because it's not like, even like Seattle, like I would come from Vancouver down to Seattle all the time. Uh, just because even that, you know, couple hundred miles makes a difference in, in, in the temperature and the climate. And, um, I, you know, it's, it's hard living here. You need to rely on your neighbor. And I think too, the fact that, um, although we're turning away from it, unfortunately, in the last probably decade or so, but Canada has always been a melting pot. Yeah, or more rather it's a mosaic as versus a melting pot. We're becoming more of a melting pot now where we're trying to homogenize all these cultures into a Canadian culture, which I just don't think exists um, personally. But for a long time, we were the cultural mosaic. So you could come here, but maintain your identity. But part of that was having to get along with all the rest of these other identities. And I think it made for more social awareness of our similarities and our differences. And it's amazing because there, we have more similarities than differences when you start to see, and you, and you're able to pick that apart. Like you can see that culturally, you know, we're, we're more similar than we are different. We, even if I, we speak different languages or have different colors of skin. And so I think the fact that we're a young country, so our history is not very long, which means our memory still hasn't faded of why we're here and what we're doing and the struggle that it was to be here. And I think a lot of, too, like we found our own identity very recently, within the last hundred years. Like World War One really uh, was a catalyst and, and crystallized the Canadian identity um, when it came to wartime and helping Britain and then trying to find our own voice within the world. Um, and I think you had a, a, a lot of rallying around that too. And then when we moved into the second world war and were very instrumental in a lot of the key battlegrounds, um, you know, Canadians are the, uh, credited a lot with why the war turned, you know, yep. key victories hinged on Canadian battalions. And I, again, I think a lot of that comes to just needing to be hardy. Like, I'm, I'm not kidding. You can't, I could not drive a Tesla. I know people in my city who have Teslas and I know that they don't go outside of the city because you are hundreds of kilometers between cities. Like you don't have the kind of um, density when it comes to population. Like we're a 10th of the population of the United States and we have one and a half times the land mass. So do the math. Like we're wow. drastically far apart. And, and it's cold. Like it gets cold here, Kevin. It gets really cold. <laughs> Make no mistake. It is warm today. Like it is in Celsius. It's in the mid thirties. So we're getting close. We're in our upper nineties when it comes to Fahrenheit right now, we're going to start pushing triple digits Fahrenheit here, probably by the end of the week. It's hot in August, but it's cold in February. February <laughs> is cold. Like it's minus it's minus, and it doesn't matter if that's Fahrenheit or Celsius, because minus is minus. When you hit minus, it's gross. It's cold. It's cold, and it's, things it's... don't start, and they like to break, and you need to rely on people. Like if my truck breaks down, I am not too worried because I know somebody will come by and stop and help out. It's just See, the way that it is, and I don't have to worry about them pulling a gun on me, and they don't have to worry about me pulling a gun on them. See, and that's the way the United States was, especially the Seattle area that I grew up in. That's the way it was in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. It is no longer that way here. Um, and I, I miss that. And I wish I wish we could go back to that. As a matter of fact, my son, who works here in, in, uh, in Washington, he's been a uh, diesel mechanic and a high-rise mechanic, and he fixes uh, equipment and that kind of stuff. He's worked for several U.S. companies, and they... And he now works for a Canadian-owned company, and they are much better and much nicer to him than any of the of the U.S. companies that he's ever worked for. So, um, you know, there's a style of how you are. Now, he also 
by the way, when when Orange Man became president, he wanted to go to Canada and they wouldn't let him in. Because yeah. He, yeah. So. yeah, we we have a lot of that. And uh, I'm always I'm always entertained because uh, because we, we have our struggles. We have our problems. I and I particularly in the province that I'm in, we are Texas North. And as somebody who has traveled a lot of the world, I've lived in 12 countries. I've lived in all 10 of my provinces. Um, and I've, I've been on four continents. Uh, when I come back here, it makes me sad sometimes um, because I don't, I don't remember there being this level of xenophobia within within my province until recently and it it's fearful for me because a lot of where it's coming from is not from within our borders and a lot of it is media from outside of this country that has somehow managed to take hold within our internal identity and it's terrifying because i remember living in Malaysia in 2004. It was when um, uh, Bush would have been senior. Uh, no, it was Bush Jr. Bush Jr. Yeah. Uh, GW. Uh, JW uh, had invaded Iraq. Uh, before they'd done, before they'd gone into Afghanistan, it was Iraq. And uh, I remember being in a country, Malaysia, that is one third Muslim, like it is Muslim, Buddhist and Christian. And you can tell that because when the kids go to school, they all wear uniforms, but their uniforms are culturally appropriate for each one of those. And it's really cool because they all get along and they don't care. And I was in this country and everybody was like, you're going to, they're going to behead you. You know that, right? You're going to a Muslim country. I'm like, I don't think that's how the world works. And I was right. And it was one of the greatest places that I could ever be because that was a true cultural mosaic. I mean, you had people from all walks of life. You had a lot of expats from North America. You had a lot of European expats. And then you had these very uh, clearly defined religious um, groups. And they all got along and respected each other because they, again, recognized where they were more similar than where they were different. And and I remember being feeling fulfilled in, with humanity, like feeling that we still had hope. Yes. And then I came back here. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that is not the reality of the world. That is not when I, I don't know when critical thinking got lost. And it, 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 it hurts me to see it. It's more prevalent in my province. I think the further outside of, of, of Western Canada you get. And by Western Canada, I mean the two provinces east of the Rocky Mountains, because um, once you get past the Rocky Mountains, you start to get pockets of liberalism again. But I, I critical thinking is, is, I think, going the way of the dodo in much of the world, not just my pocket of it. But um, it saddens me because I think the more you can be exposed to the world, the, the bigger and smaller the world becomes. And the more you understand that we are all on this planet together, and there isn't there isn't a lot of differences between us. No, and uh, by the way, I, I, that is a wonderful note to end on, because um, I believe that that we are all one. It doesn't matter what we look like, who we love. It matters how our behavior is, and that we care for each other, and we work hard to be to to really make it great for our kids and for our families and the environment and all of that stuff. So yeah. I really appreciate, you know, this has been a very, very cool conversation. And I want to thank you very much, uh, Mr. Mr. Tyler Foley for being here. Sean Tyler Foley has been our guest. Um, uh, let's see. STF. That's his stage name, if you will. And uh, go to his website, which is SeanTylerFoley.com. Find out all about him. Hire him to come speak for you. He would be, um, he's dynamic, and he would be a great, a great guy to do that with. And so I want to thank you so much for being here. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we go? No, just uh, to remind your audience that uh, they know me because of you. So if they like this conversation, give you a five-star review. 
uh, before they pop over to my website because I think it's important that they tell you how good a job you're doing, Kevin, because Lord knows I've told you. And I uh, will continue to tell you every time I'm on your show. But if, if your audience is, is liking this, um, especially if they're regularly tuning into Positive Talk Radio, they should uh, they should let you know why and give you a five-star review. And I thank you so much for that. Um, a lot of times people think that when you're sitting where I'm sitting that, oh, it's just, it's easy. It's not expensive. It's, it's easy. I got to tell you, it's, it's, that's an incorrect assumption on all those things. So we do the best we can, but, and I bring the best guests I can, which is why Sean is here. And I want to thank you so much. I know you're busy. You're looking at your phone and you got things to do. So, um, um, thank you so much for being here. And if you wait right there, I will be right back. Hey, thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of PositiveTalkRadio.net. Please visit our website, oddly named PositiveTalkRadio.net, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember... Be kind to one another.